Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guest this week is Marla Kaplowitz, CEO of the Four A's, the Industry Trade Association for Advertising Agencies. In her role, Marla is most focused on all of the big issues that agencies are grappling with today. From moving the DE&I conversation beyond the D with programs that promote equity and inclusion for diverse employees, to helping agencies navigate the future of work and evolving client relationships. Hi, Marla. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing, Allison? I'm doing well. We are chatting in the thick of can week right now. And although we're not there, it's great to be able to chat with you virtually. I know we'd probably run into each other on the quasit in yeah. a normal year. Those are those spontaneous serendipitous moments that I do miss. Yes, indeed. Um, it's, it's definitely, I think the whole industry is yearning for those right now. Um, but so I want to talk about the four A's obviously. And I think the agency sector as a whole, as you have a really interesting view on all of the agencies in the space from your position. So, um, but first, tell me about um, what the what is the day to day like for the CEO of the Four A's. Uh, this th- my role is probably a lot like your role in that it's incredibly dynamic and different every day, which I so appreciate. Uh, and every single person at the Four A's, whether that's me or someone else on the team, is focused on two things: how do we add value to our members and support their business needs. And the other is, how do we move the industry forward? So every day is a mix of internal and external with an eye on how can we improve our capabilities and create new offerings and opportunities for our member, but how can we also partner and support industry initiatives and efforts that benefit everyone? Mm, Interesting. So let's start talking about the first piece. Um, What sort of new offerings are you now thinking about to make the 4A's membership more valuable, especially in this new world we're living in post-pandemic, or I guess we're post-pandemic now, but I don't want to jinx anything. (laughs) I think we're post-pandemic in the U.S. at least. And since we're a U.S. association, that's that's what we're focused in on. This has been an interesting time because if I think back even pre-COVID, we're still following through on some of the areas and initiatives, but we've also really expanded a lot of our offerings. Uh, DE&I is such a critical area, but we've launched some new programs, which I can talk more about, and that will continue to be a big area of focus for us. Um, We're launching some new professional and organizational development programs for learning and development for our members that are really helping them not only address uh, what we're calling campaign enlightenment and understanding bias in the campaign development process, but also just fundamentals for agency personnel. Uh, We're also looking at what is happening right now with independent contractors and the rise of more project-based work and looking at shifts in labor laws. So that's something our government relations team has started to focus in on. And we are... We are now looking at how we think differently about the member experience. So I added a new role, a woman named Molly Rosen, who was running our member engagement and development team, is now overseeing our strategy, insight, and innovation team, and really looking at a macro level of how do we continually add new offerings, capabilities, strengthen what we have to enhance that relationship and that dynamic. 
Awesome. Um, so two two really interesting threads there, the divi- diversity and inclusion conversation at the agencies and the new shifting workforce. Um, yes. So let's start with, with DE&I. Obviously, the industry is still struggling to um, get better on this front. And the four A's has been a huge advocate for this for forever with your MAPE internship program mm-hmm. and a bunch of other different um initiatives, but talk about how maybe you really like ramped up in that area over the past year. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up that there's still so much more work to do in this area. And that's on an individual level and an organizational level. And it's so important that we as the forays recognize that if we are going to be pushing the industry to do better, we also have to do better. And so We had to look inward ourselves last year, and we've been making changes on our leadership team. We've been making different changes with our plans and also being very transparent and open about what our statistics are as it relates to diversity within our own workforce. Um, And you mentioned MAPE, which is our Multicultural Advertising Intern Program, which has been around for almost 50 years, which is amazing. And that was very intentional about driving diversity at the entry level and focusing on the pipeline. We later expanded to add scholarships, primarily in the creative sphere, but that also evolved. And then over a decade ago, we started supporting local high schools to get students interested in the industry at an even earlier age. And last year, we had a recognition that we had to do more in this space. We launched a new program called Vanguard, which is targeted at mid to senior level black professionals within agencies, but also recognizing that their organizations need to go through transformation. So there are mentors who are working with these individuals, but there's also sponsors and the CEOs are those sponsors and they get coaching and connection to really understand how to evolve their approach within their organization. So that's important. We launched a program called 365 Black Print, which in February, we all celebrate Black History Month. 28 days is not enough. We felt that it should be 365 days a year. So that's a program that is kind of honoring the legends, also recognizing new people up and coming throughout the industry and making sure that we're supporting them throughout every phase of their journey. And I think that's important for us. Um, to move this industry forward uh, takes an acknowledgement of what is working and what is not working. And I always say that you cannot be precious about this work. You should not be proprietary. One thing that I would say is a positive coming out of the pandemic, there was a real focus more on collaboration over competition. And let's all kind of figure this out together. So last fall, we brought together over 300 HR talent and agency leaders for what we were considering our first annual equity and inclusion Congress to address these collective opportunities. And so the leaders got together and co-created a manifesto focused on five areas. It was Report, uh, recruiting, retention, learning and development, reporting and measurement, and then building and sustaining a team. And the plan laid it out for holding companies, independents, and then the industry at large over the next two, five, and 10 years. And I just want to underscore that because this is not a quick fix. This is a problem that has been around for decades and centuries. And we have to be patient, but we can't take another 
you know, 20, 30, 50 plus years to fix Mm -hmm. this. We need to start demonstrating through actions. And we know words only go so far, actions go the distance. And so we need to acknowledge what those issues are. We need to move it forward. And I think most importantly, what's working and what's not working. Let's be honest about it. So we're going to get this same group together every year to share feedback. And so we'll be putting together another ENI Congress in the fall. And I also want to just acknowledge that we are so focused on representation and what that looks like. But this is broader than that. When we talk about DE&I and belonging, it's about how business is conducted and work is created and the people are embraced. So while we've started in a, a much more narrow place, there's this real recognition that this is so much broader. We need to address the systemic issues that are happening. Uh, you've got people like Elizabeth Paul at the Martin Agency developing a visibility brief, which is open source now, and anyone can take advantage of that. We need people to recognize that research and the methodologies that are used have biases built in. So how do you understand those inherent biases and mitigate them? Creating new marketplaces to support BIPOC-owned and targeted media. We're seeing a real proliferation about DE&I and not just about racial and ethnic diversity. This is about all areas of difference and how do we embrace intersectionality in the way that that comes to life. I know that was a very long answer to your question. No, I mean, it just goes to show that you guys are really putting a lot of thought and care into the programs that you're crafting. And, um, you know, I think you're, you make a good point that, or a representation of how the industry is at least trying to move beyond the diversity piece and into the equity and inclusion piece. Um, you know, by elevating senior talent, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, um, how would you, how do you think the agencies are adopting these programs you're putting in front of them? Are they eager? Are they chasing it more like a shiny object? Are they willing to commit? What are you seeing? I'm seeing a real commitment and a real understanding of what it takes to actually move this forward. It started with some agencies recognizing they didn't even have someone who was focused on DEI, while others recognized that they needed to start having that individual report into the CEO. Some were much further along on that journey, and it really is a journey, and embracing the need to have this at the top down and that this was not just, again, some niche piece of an initiative, that this was something that needed to be embraced organizationally from the top down. And that is a real shift. We are seeing some impact to that. We're seeing real action. Obviously, there were a lot of promises made. Accountability is critical in this area. People need to follow up. They need to own it. Uh, We put out a diversity survey last year to agencies And we were looking for very basic information. We were looking for racial, ethnic diversity, as well as gender. And we will be following that up again in August. We don't share the individual agencies. We just want to show overall where is the agency and allow each agency to benchmark themselves against how they are progressing with their goals. And we all know that this is a business imperative. This is a human imperative. And if we are going to have this industry, and this is a great week, we talked about this is can creativity. This is what we celebrate. 
you have to not just shape and mirror society. You have to make sure that you have the people within your organization that can do that as well. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, you bring up can, and I think a lot of the work that's winning this year, um, we're recording this on Wednesday, so we don't know all the winners yet, but a lot of the winning work is really impactful, whether it's about race or societal issues or women's issues. Um, but it's interesting. I think, you know, a lot of the people sort of accepting the awards and, and talking about the awards are the white male chief creative officers. Um, so I do still think that there's, in a sense, like people are, are talking about the right things, but the action still needs to happen. And I'm curious if you think the long-term commitment is there. I'm glad you brought that up because while we're seeing maybe representation in front of the camera, there has to be representation behind the scenes in terms of the creative development, the actual production of how that's being developed. And that's where there is still a lot of progress that needs to be made. Uh, Simon Fenwick, who oversees our talent equity and inclusion team, has had conversations with people at Essential who oversee CAN about creating Uh, new criteria for representation for awards to ensure that there is real diversity and representation uh, behind the work as well. So you you raise a good point that we're still seeing the same faces and that needs to shift. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, awards programs overall need to, you know, this is what the industry strives for every year, right? To be recognized at, at Cannes, um, And so if it's just only continually the same people being recognized, then it's difficult to see yourself. And that won't last. There will be too many people calling that out as disingenuous. And uh, you need to back up your words with real actions. And as I said earlier, there is real accountability. And that accountability is coming from the people within your organizations. And you have to answer to them. Yeah. Well, Definitely think that, you know, you guys are pushing in the right direction. Um, I want to talk about, um, you know, the past year with COVID and how you're rethinking helping agencies get back into the office. I hear the word hybrid probably eight times a day, but I don't (laughs) have any details about what that might look like. And I think, you know, people don't, people don't know yet. So what are you, how are you helping your members figure this out? Uh, This is one of my favorite topics. I truly think it's fascinating. We actually did a survey uh, in May to get a sense from both staff and leadership about, okay, what does return to the office look like for you? Uh, What are your plans? What are your expectations? And we just had our management practitioners forum where we had three different agency leaders talking about their approach to it. And and I've been sitting in on a lot of meetings with CEOs because this is my absolute favorite question to ask. Because to me, future of work is a very broad topic. The, The office piece is only one component of it. And we had one leader talk about this idea of office first and flexible, in person collaboration is best. And that's how they view it. Now, that's still going to be different for each person. I think they're all trying to think about flexibility, and they're not going back till September. Uh, Another agency, their view is better together with a focus more on as much time together versus not. And they're asking their employees to be in the office 
uh, with flexibility of working remotely whatever two days you want every two weeks. And then there's another agency that has started hiring a lot of people outside of their locale. And so they have a hybrid, what they're calling hybrid forever approach of return to better with their office. And they're talking about it as a hive and that local employees will be asked to show up Tuesday to Thursday, Monday to Friday remote. But then you've also got their remote employees don't have anything. So I think the whole point is there's a real spectrum and there are no definitive answers. Everyone's exploring it. What I would say is agencies, in my view, are about people, product, and clients. And I would start with your people. Find out what your people want. I've heard some CEOs say, this is what I believe and this is where I think creativity happens and what I want. And I've heard others say, well, we we actually did a survey of our team and this is what our team wants because they've now spent the last 15 plus months working remotely and figuring it out. And they like the flexibility. They feel more productive. To me, the most important is, is your employee fulfilled? And what does fulfillment mean? That's a very individual understanding and you need to try and pull that out of them to understand that because you're probably hearing from people right now there's a real talent drain there's a real competition for talent and this is not just in our industry and so you need to figure out what you can do to be an incredibly attractive employer while still maintaining your culture of creativity yeah well let's talk about the talent drain i mean i think that um you know, whether or not it has to do with COVID in the past year, like a lot of people are, you know, getting fed up with the agency lifestyle, especially at the holding companies. And at the same time, you know, agencies now compete with a lot broader, a much broader set of companies, whether that's tech companies, consulting firms, and oftentimes these companies have pay their employees bigger salaries. Um, What do you sort of think is going on in the industry with the talent pool? So the the industry, the agency world has always been a very dynamic, fast-paced environment, and it's client service. So you have to be able to react to clients, to service them as you need, and that definitely creates challenges in terms of having a nine-to-five job. I do think this past year has helped in some ways, get people to recognize a separation of work and life and how you need to think about that, what people need to do to recharge and how they use their time and giving people a little more autonomy with that. I've been having some conversations with CEOs about the need for a better understanding between clients and agency around how they are going to work and aligning on expectations. We often talk about the need to have client agency relationship expectations and guidelines and real clarity up front about what do you want out of the partnership and how is it going to work. And that needs to extend to how people are going to work. There are some teams, I did an interview uh, at a conference with with Mediacom and the head of marketing for Shell. And they were talking about how they each take time. They set aside time where that's their own time. They don't work together. Um, There's a lot of mutual respect there in terms of the partnership. They have open communication on a regular basis. This is where we need to think differently about how we move forward and 
focusing on the people. And you said, I see this happening in the holding companies. This, this to me is not just a holding company issue. This is just the agency life in general and the way that it had been established from a client service standpoint. And there needs to be a reconciliation around what does that look like going forward? And that may look different business to business, but you should align on that and make it clear because you need to protect and preserve your people and make sure that that's how you keep the best talent on the business. Every client wants to be the destination client in an agency. Everyone wants to be the one that the best talent wants to work on. Well, then you have to think about how you can be the best marketer, the best client in supporting those needs and having those honest conversations up front. And that is really critical, honest conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think... um there's so much focus on mental health now, or at least mm-hmm. talk about mental health at agencies. And I think you're right. Like it's, it's, it's really tough to change the business model or the culture of an agency when the client is really demanding and not understanding of people's mental health needs. Um, do you feel like clients and marketers are getting better at that? Or is it just really depend on, on who you're talking to? It's really dependent. What I am hearing is that there honestly needs to be some training to help Mm -hmm. marketers understand how to get the best out of their agency. There used to be a lot more time put into helping marketers who had never been on the agency side understand, here's how you partner with an agency. Here's how you get the best out of them. Here's how you drive a better relationship. And A lot of the work gets delegated to more junior people who maybe don't have as much experience. One of the positives that occurred last spring with the pandemic and the lockdown is that there were such critical, urgent business issues that they were dealing with that they were no longer getting into the minutia and the day-to-day tactics. They were starting to have, once again, those real high-level conversations with the CMOs And you had a lot of CEOs on the agency side who weren't traveling, who could be very focused on these needs, and it forged stronger relationships at the higher levels. And that needs to trickle down in terms of the day-to-day because that doesn't always translate. And that's where a lot of the challenges seem to come about. Mm, Yeah. Um, What do you, I, I do think, I feel like there is this sort of move back to clients wanting to work with like the senior talent at agencies. Um, do you, do you see that happening more often? Like agencies making an effort to do that, or is it still a lot of junior talent that gets sort of put on these big accounts? No, I am seeing a real move for that and a recognition. I was in a meeting, an industry meeting where a CMO was acknowledging that they had continued to push the agency so much and that they had so many more junior people on their business. And that was actually impacting their diversity spending because they had people that didn't have the tenure um, and the experience or maybe the level of training in terms of managing some, some of that. And the client was noting that they were going to invest with the agency in more talent and more senior talent to be supporting that need. And, and I think that is a real recognition of what's happening in the business to continue along and just to say, we're going to keep cutting costs, keep cutting costs. There is a price that is paid for that. And 
you have to think about what you need for your business and people with more experience have something different to offer, but there is a price associated with that too. Totally. And I think also part of the problem is that the business model has is reflective of more of like a vendor type relationship and it's mm-hmm. built around legacy media. Do you see any new business models emerging that are making it easier for agencies to provide the best possible work and, and culture for their talent? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. And in a recent podcast, I heard you talking about FTEs and I think we'd <laughs> all be happy for that model to go away. Um, think Talk about commoditizing people when they should not be commoditized. Uh, we, we definitely have new models and I think that's what's exciting. There is no one right model. It's ultimately what is the best fit for a client and their objectives and what they need. And the exciting thing about agencies is that that is an entrepreneurial environment of constant iteration and exploration of new models, new ways of thinking. And I have to say in this last year, I've seen such ingenuity and creativity with agencies really figuring it out. Think about production last spring. I mean, it was at a standstill and agencies figured out how to move that forward. And so that's what's happening with new business models. There were a lot of people that had been thinking about new ways of doing work. Uh, I was joking with someone that the playbooks were in the drawer, but COVID forced them out and forced Mm -hmm. the action once and for all, because think how much change we've had in the last 15 months. It's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. And People, to some degree, had a lot of those plans. They just, they needed something to force it and to push it forward. And I do think COVID was was needed for that. But the model piece on the compensation, there's real work that needs to shift there. And it's starting. We're getting to more value-based compensation. We're looking more at what the impact is for performance and how to really pay agencies and value them for the impact that they have on the business and not just looking at it from an FTE model. We need to really shift from the outputs to outcomes. This Mm. whole idea of outcomes is really critical, but you need data to support that and you need alignment to what are the key metrics that you're going to focus in on that are really going to shift the the business and move it forward. Right. For sure. Well, I'm curious to, uh, to see if those models stick. Um, but another another trend coming out of the pandemic is distributed work and, and mm-hmm. remote work. Um, I mean, freelancers, sorry. And I guess I feel like, you know, you see a lot of these networks popping up that sort of hire freelancers and they talk about how people have flexibility and they love that. Is that where the industry is going? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about this trend? The industry has been in a hybrid model with this for a bit because freelancers were doing quite well financially on their own. And it actually gave agencies a lot of flexibility, especially as more project-based work was coming out in order to flex that. So the pandemic hit, all the freelance work went away. It's starting to come back, especially as people want more flexibility with their work schedules. And we see the rise of I would say, support for independent contractors with different laws. So it's starting in California. And that's why our government relations team is now very focused on labor and what we need to be looking at in the different states as this is going to unfold because it will impact agencies. Um, So yes, we will continue to see this. 
but it's important for agencies to figure out how to balance kind of the, the set work and those set employees and bringing in freelancers as they need to. And that's creating a real rhythm around the workflow, which is always erratic, but figuring that out as much as possible. Yeah. What are you seeing from clients around these freelance networks and hiring these networks as opposed to a traditional agency? So it's a mix of how they want to work together. Um, I'll use an example like We Are Rosie. We Are Rosie is actually working both with clients as well as agencies and partnering together. And they're creating new models um, and new workforces and teams. And I think that's also really positive. Back to your point about models, there's so many new models that are popping up. It ultimately comes down to what do clients need? Um, There are some clients that will in-house certain resources and work, but also recognize that they will get better work in certain areas, depending upon what they're looking for from an agency. Um, If you have a lot of, uh, if you have a client that has a lot of liability potential, uh, you're going to want to keep certain things in-house with your social, for example. Uh, But maybe you're making sure that you work closely with an agency on the creative content. Uh, If you are a client that has very strong proprietary first-party data, there's certain pieces that you may want to manage in-house. But it's challenging to always stay on top of technology, to stay on top of the latest trends. And that's, agencies are always going to bring that external perspective, the provocation, uh, what I would say is healthy tension. You don't get that inside organizations. And with the increasing complexity with technology and new companies launching every day with new forms of ad tech and martech, um, an agency is where they are constantly staying on top of that and understanding how different components work together to create the best tech stack for every client. Yeah, for sure. They do bring that outside perspective. Um, Okay. One more trend for you. I I feel like I've been hearing a lot about like, it's the independent agency's time. Like everyone wants to work at an indie agency. Uh, Clients are interested in them because they're more agile and you can get access to more senior talent Um, And everyone's been talking about the death of the holding company for (laughs) (laughs) the slowest, longest death I've ever seen. But um, no, but um, what do you think about uh, indies versus holding companies and the future of of how clients want to work? So to me, this is about what a client needs. And some clients need a global footprint. Some clients want the true breadth and resources of a holding company. Others... uh, will want to work with an independent agency for different needs in a different type or an agency. Um, There's such a blurring now of, is this agency independent? Is this uh, a holding company agency? And I think the other shift that I'm really seeing is you're talking about like the big holding companies, but there are all these new mini holding companies that are Mm -hmm. popping up. And ultimately, they're all providing a set of marketing and consultative services that are just leveraging a diverse group of companies that address creativity, whether it's creative, data, media, technology. So even you can say independence, but there are a lot of independents that are aggregating 
different offering services and partnerships that start to look like what you and I would consider a holding company model. And so to me, it's sort of interesting uh, as people are launching new entities, it's a way of differentiating. It's a way of trying to stand out and say, I don't represent something that is viewed as been around. I represent something new, but I would also say that everyone's evolving. Everyone's creating new approaches, new models, and it's got to come down to, do you have the resource to invest moving Mm -hmm. forward? Um, So I don't believe there's any one right way. Half our membership are holding company agencies, half our membership are independent agencies. And there is no one right way. And there are some clients that work with both. And Mm -hmm. for them, it's how they want to move forward. And it's what those individual companies are providing for them, for their brands to move their businesses forward. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think, um, you know, people always talk about the holding companies in that way because of their financial performance and um, they are public. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're open to more scrutiny and they're more, uh, unfortunately, a little bit more short term driven, I think. Um, but um, it's can, as, as we talked about, and creative agencies in particular, I think recently have been struggling um, the, the big legacy shops. What what what's the role of creativity and the creative agency in business today and where do they need to still evolve? Yeah. To me, creativity is still the foundational element of this industry and needs to be valued. If you look at any business, you need creativity to address opportunities, your business challenges. To me, it's people within those agencies They love figuring that out. They love coming up with new ways of connecting with consumers and evolving the business and coming up with those creative solutions. To me, all businesses need to continuously evolve. And so that is the same for the creative agencies. Right now, they're leaning more into data and analytics um, with a real focus on business transformation, as well as making sure that they get appropriately compensated for the work and the impact that they generate they are looking at new shifts with e-commerce, customer experience. That is a real focus for a lot of the creative agencies now, leaning into CX and design, helping to support brands across the enterprise. So to me, this is an interesting time where I'm happy that Can is still around to celebrate the creativity and to show the business impact that it can have and to remind people that you can have some pretty amazing solutions to some challenging business problems that can really propel a business forward. Mm, yeah. Um, well, I think that's a that's a positive note to leave it on. And uh, we're out of time. But thank you so much, Marla, for coming on the podcast. And um, hope you enjoy the rest of the, the virtual can week. Thank you so much, Allison. I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to more of your can updates. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry, and we'll see you next time.